Welcome back to Going Rounds, the official podcast of Gusto, a matter company. I'm Janet Harris-Courts, podcast producer and host of this podcast. Well, folks, we've made it to July. Summer is officially here. I hope you all enjoyed your long holiday weekends. And now it's time to get back to it, huh? Hmm. Today in this corner, we've got senior writer Shaw Flick whose story we'll hear after the break. One of my other things that I do is I play softball an office clerk at a law firm. Decided I wanted to be in rock bands. I was getting really interested in winemaking, which I make wine also in my garage. In the wine industry and production. I'm and a dog sales. lover. I have a large tattoo of my old dog, Scurvy, that I lost in a divorce. I have a lot of fanny packs. Let's see. Oh, I ride a motorcycle, which is super fun. started working as a server at a restaurant. Just bartending full-time. I'm a bike me- bicycle mechanic, also, too. Also, I build stuff. I don't know. I just do all sorts of whatever. My name is Shaw Flick. I am a copywriter by trade. Uh, I have twin four-year-old daughters named Charlie and June. They are super fun um, sometimes, but most of the time, most of the time, most of the time they're great. I live in Portland, Oregon, and I've been here for about 16 years. I live in Oregon. I'm from Boston, the Boston area, and I love it here. It's very livable. I'll probably be out here for the rest of my life. But every single day, I think about moving back east. I think it's it's just a tendency to be like, oh yeah, wherever I am, I could probably be doing something different. But I like it here. It's nice. It's getting warmer here than it used to be, but it's still nice. The work that I do here at Gusto, it's kind of a combination of creative ideas and kind of the creative direction of projects, like in combination with the pre-production work of writing the actual things. So ideation and then writing, Um, uh, interfacing with the client. So doing some interviewing, processing branded materials, like bringing everything together, synthesizing things, um, using that kind of creative imagination to to make something or to see something in a new way. And uh, and then we talk about things a lot and bounce ideas off each other. So there's a collaboration that happens and I take you know, the collaboration process really seriously. So getting opportunities to bounce ideas off of clients is really important to me. But um, on top of that, it's like as a team member, I try to be, you know, more than just some guy who writes or just some guy who hands off projects to someone else. It's like, try to be a real active participant in the culture here, which is to say, getting to know people on a level that's not just just the work that we do. Because I know with, with hybrid work especially, it's easy to put yourself on an island or to feel like the, the work is putting you on an island. I really work hard to to let people know that um, that they're not alone and that they're not um, uh, just talking to a partially deflated volleyball. They're actually able to engage meaningfully. Um, 
Sorry, that was a castaway reference for all my Tom Hanks heads out there. Yeah, talking to a volleyball. Um, uh, synthesizing ideas, see? Um, but so nobody feels like they're on an island. I would say, you know, my second job, of course, is being a dad. So with the small amount of time that I have to myself, I th I end up doing a lot of yard work. You know, I joke with my, my sort of colloquial way of referring to it is that, you know, any time between March and September is diggin' season. Diggin' season is the most relatable middle-aged man content you could possibly have, or just middle-aged person who handles yard work at their home, male or female. But that, like, that's to say, as a middle-aged man, I have, you know, started playing golf. Like, I'd played it in high school. I had this, I had kind of a horrible home situation. And my stepdad, he decided that he wanted to start playing golf for as a career move. Like he was going to help him in his uh, in his career. So you know, he hated my mom, obviously, and he hated my brother, of course. And his own son was in jail, so that pretty much just left me as the guy who had to play golf with him. So he bought me golf clubs and paid for golf lessons. And then before I know it, you know, he and I are like going golf together. I never really, I didn't keep doing it. I would periodically just like, you know, maybe do a par three or something like that. And it was fun. And I had kind of muscle memory for the stroke and everything. So it was, it was satisfying in that way. But then during pandemic, like in 2020, after my girls went back to, went back to school, um, it was like, I was between jobs because I'd gotten laid off right at the beginning of the pandemic. I just had this period of time where I could just do whatever I wanted all day. So of course, it being um, the fall, I was did some digging. And then, um, you know, friends and I would just go out to play part three and just really fell in love with it and started playing a lot more. Golf is insane because it doesn't make any sense. Like any sport, it's like, it doesn't really make sense. So you'd be like, well, why am I kicking this ball towards a net? Or why is the hoop so small in basketball? If it was larger, this game would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? You know, it's like, like, why do I have to bounce the ball when I take steps, right? It's like, that's the rules to a game are what make it stupid, but also the only thing that's actually fun about it. Because it's like, you can do something for like a minute and then you're just like, this is boring because there are no rules around it. So golf is especially stupid because the ball is really small. The hole is 300 yards away from you. And so it being so stupid is kind of what makes it fun because you're the sheer absurdity of walking around outside for four hours hitting a small ball at a small hole really far away from you i don't know i it, that the, the the wonder of uh, the absurdity never never is lost on me and really, like, golf isn't that, like, important to me. It's just something that I do a lot of and I think a lot about. But I, you know, I watch a lot of basketball when it's basketball season. Pro basketball is just brings light to my life. I don't know. Um, I was really sad when uh, Bill Russell died on my 40th birthday. He's sort of a personal hero and I think a hero to a lot of people, not just in Massachusetts, although obviously a lot of Celtics fans out there, um, but also just as... You know, kind of in his telling of things, it would be like, as a man, right? He was, he was, 
doing something important. But I, mean, I don't think he would ever said that. Said he was doing something important. But he would phrase it as like he approached everything as a man, and that like, I mean, he's of a different generation, so that. To me, when I read stuff like that from somebody like him, who I know isn't just thinking about men, I think what he's saying is like you come to the world as yourself and you don't back down, and that's that's how you win at whatever it is that you're doing, and that's how you make a difference in the world around you. And you, when things are hard, you know there are certain aspects that you you have no control over, but if you approach it as the com most complete version of yourself that you have, then you will always win. And Bill Russell, Bill Russell sure won a lot. So thank you, Bill Russell. It's tough because I, um, I like did, like I, I alluded to it where it was like, it was not a good um, home environment. Like there was, there were bad things happening uh, in our house. I could pretend like there was nothing happy that happened, right? I just, it's just hard to see it sometimes when it's overshadowed by other things. And, Cause in a lot of ways, like I had a pretty happy childhood. Um, but as things kind of like spiraled into the negative over time, I remember, I think probably a real life-changing moment for me was when I was a senior in high school, I, I like was in a, like a church youth group mostly to meet girls, but it never really panned out in any meaningful way there. But it did pan out for me like trying having like really working hard to have spiritual discoveries inside of myself, and never that those never panned out to anything beyond, um, you know, uh, periodically shouting into the void of existence. But um, there was a kid who was a freshman. Nate and his mom would give me $20 to hang out with him and I had a car you know and all of his friends are like 14 and would just be like be like let's go drive somewhere and I'm like whatever he'd be like yeah let's go to Darby's house I'm like who's that so we uh we go over to this house and there's and nobody's there but there's a trampoline so uh, we're just like cool let's like hang out on this trampoline just like I don't know probably talk about Wu-Tang or something and then um and then this like group of girls shows up and one of them, Sadie, she says, who are you and what are you doing at my house? And uh, I didn't know any of these people, right? I knew Nate and I knew his friends. And so I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? Who is this Darby character? And why are these eighth or like ninth grade boys demanding that we hang out at this random house that nobody seems to want us at and then darby shows up she's just this sort of this you know 50 year old uh cancer survivor who just loves nothing more than to like bring people together much to the annoyance of her husband and daughter it's like just like invites us in um cooks us all dinner and then before I know it, like Darby is like my mom, which I had a mom, but uh, she was sort of doing her own thing. So it was like Darby was always just laser. F if you're talking to Darby, it was like you, were, you felt like you were the only person in the world she cared about, even though she was giving the equal amount of attention to every single person there. It was wild. 
and I'd never really been around people like that. And she welcomed me into her home and let me come back whenever I wanted. And it was like all these experiences that were kind of new to me. And so I think about that one moment where Nate is like, let's go to Darby's house. And um, I don't know, it just, Darby is the closest family I have now, you know? It's just weird to say out loud, but it's very true. In college, I got interested in writing, and it was mostly it was mostly because every time someone would assign me something like a research paper, I would just do a creative piece instead by just like taking lots of ideas and jamming them together into a story. And um, you know, like I said, most of my teachers really disliked me in part because I was constantly doing things like that. Um, but without regard for the feedback I was getting, which was stop doing this. I realized at college that there are all these creative writing courses. And at Syracuse, I was surrounded by some extremely talented writers. And at the time I was like, you know, 19 years old and super depressed. And so I was like, I'm just gonna write some poetry. And so I started taking like poetry workshops and, and I was all of a sudden studying under people like Mary Carr, and Bruce Smith, and then, and then I realized that I was really bad at writing poetry. Um, I think it was the moment when I ran into Mary Carr on campus, and she was like, "Oh, what are you working on?" I was like, "I'm writing an epic poem about the the struggle between skin and hair." And she was like, "That is literally the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. Are you sure that you want to write that?" So I started writing fiction instead. And that was really fun because then I'm studying under people like Arthur Flowers and George Saunders and met, like others at like Fardouche Mershiri um, at Syracuse and just getting this like kind of world class, this master class in, in writing short fiction. And um, I never wrote anything that was very good, but in my head I was like, I'm doing something. And then I decided I wanted to be in rock bands. And so uh, I started, I, I don't know what's wrong with me where I am not good at something, but I insist on putting myself in front of people doing it. Um, so I like joined a band, even though it's horrible at guitar. And I was, then I was like programming drums and a drum machine for a band and then and then my friend Milo and I decided to start a band and we were like, we're gonna we're gonna get famous. So we were like, yeah, let's start this band. We got all these musicians together and we're like, we're gonna start this band, write a bunch of songs, play a bunch of shows, become the biggest band in Syracuse, go on tour, get a record contract. And that was it, that was our big plan. And somehow we actually did that. And Robert Riot was super duper fun. But, you know, I quit that band right after we got offered a record contract uh, so that I could move to Oregon. And then I was like, I'm gonna be in a band, so it doesn't really matter what I'm doing to make money. So I was be I was an office clerk at a law firm. And then in the summers, I would go back to Massachusetts and teach creative writing at Andover. So that was really fun, kind of working in a craft, but you know, in my life, I was getting really interested in winemaking, which I make wine also in my garage. So I quit the law firm and I worked in the wine industry and production and in sales 
for a while, and then I somewhere in there I got married, and then I started working as a server at a restaurant, and then while I was doing that, got divorced, and then I was just a freewheeling party boy around town, working at sandwich shops and just basically doing all sorts of hipster stuff, riding my bike everywhere, playing kickball, doing this, doing that, meeting lots of people, hanging out with lots of people, wink, wink. You know, during that time, kind of lost sight of what I was trying to do. And so I went to Reed College to get my master's degree. And then I finished that degree. And then I was bartending full time. And then one day I'm like, I just want to, I want to do something that uses my brain a little bit more because bartending really does make you hate people, like hate humanity as a whole, because you get to see how horrible people are. Um, You get to see nice people transform into monsters every day. So I quit and just took some random office manager job and it was like probably three months later that they, uh, I started doing all their video production because I should probably mention that my high school had a video production studio and my brother David and I had been making like, you know, we were edit edit movies in the in the big VHS camera. We were just like writing movies and making them starring just the two of us, like around our family's farm and stuff. So we had our we had like Ninja Man, Virtual Ninja, uh, The Great Train Robbery. Um, it's probably another Ninja one in there. Um, yeah. Then so so we also like when we were in high school, we worked in the TV studio and kind of fell in love with production process and so in college I what I also in addition to writing and doing like critical theory I was uh, doing a lot of video art and I left that job to work at a tech company not making content um, as a project manager and then left that job for a uh, for a, a content position did that for a couple of years and then have just like throughout that process, just like writing and writing and writing and like honing my approach to video and getting a better understanding of how people actually consume it and figuring out how to hone my skills in that. But really didn't start doing that until, I mean, it was probably six years ago is when I, um, when I left bartending. So pretty, pretty new, pretty young career which probably is why everything is still pretty, feels really fresh to me. But it's great because, you know, in a writing position, I get to take every, all of these ideas that are swirling through my head all the time and kind of put pen to paper and and make something real out of it. And what I like about video is that I have an opportunity to, to see something. Like, it's not just, it's not like you, it's not just with fiction where you write something and you have an idea of what, you know, your audience is going to be picturing inside of their head, but you never see what they see. And I, I like video because we make something and maybe that's like the making element. It's really ties everything else together, right? Where it's making wine, um, uh, whether it's, you know, going out and having a good time playing golf. It's like all this stuff for ropes into like, just you're doing something, something that's, that's fun. And like, yeah, I was going to say that leads to something bigger, but I'm like, golf doesn't lead to anything. It just leads to you being like, I suck at this. 
I would say career-wise, it's like continue kind of pushing the creative boundaries of the work that we do and, you know, move into a position where we're able to integrate the, you know, the visual stories with the, the written stories a little bit more tightly. So it's just like really um, like a tight collaborative process. And in that way, go towards more of like a creative direction rather than just pure copywriting. Imagination isn't just isn't a magical process where you're pulling something out of the ether. It's like it's a it's a problem solving strategy that synthesizes all this information, all this input that comes in. Right? Um, you know, looking at a cloud and seeing a rabbit, right, is not that different from reading someone's brand material and coming up with and seeing something there that nobody else sees right it's like applying everything that you've experienced in your life and just projecting that onto something else but i derive like an incredible amount of like pleasure and joy from just like making stuff and, and the process of writing so it's like pretty much always fun for me you know i say that and I could probably cite like 800,000 times where I have not been having fun. Um, but when you when you finally hit that thing, like you're going through, you're bucketing ideas and like coming up with all these different ideas and then you find one that you're just like, this actually makes sense. I take being on a team really seriously from, you know, from softball to work, like it's all, it's means something more than just the thing, the activity that we're doing, right? But that meaning does not supersede uh, the meaning of my family, which is much deeper and much more significant to me. So I think it's really, really important to me to, that I don't take my work too seriously. And that the things that really matter to me are um, for the most part outside of work. Like I have a very strong belief that that anybody who describes your teammates as work family is trying to emotionally manipulate you. And I will not trust anybody who presents a work situation in that way because I already have a family. And I would, my family is like my ride or die, right? It's like any, I'd do anything for them. Um, but work, you, I'm literally paid to be here. And I appreciate, you know, that I have the opportunity to strike that balance here on the Gusto team. But I think the way that balance manifests itself in the work itself is just like balancing ideas, balancing moods, balancing what we think is best with what the client thinks is best, which is sometimes um, a very fine balance. So th at the end of the day, when we do strike that perfect balance in the pieces of content that we make, Everybody is happy, everybody's satisfied, and then it's actually driving business results because we've merged two forms of expertise into the same spot. And it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty incredible when you get to see that happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Going Rounds. I hope you all feel like you learned a little bit more about our special Shaw. Shaw, you're such a fun person to have on an interview. I wish you could come and be a guest on this show every week. 
If you want to talk to Shaw or myself or anyone at Gusto, email us at hello at letsgusto.com. We can't wait to bring you more perspectives from our staff and other creatives that inspire us. Until then, bye. Bye.